Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in. On today's podcast, I have with me Roberto Custa, co-founder of Beepsy Technologies. In this episode, we talked about Roberto's fascinating story of perseverance in building Beepsy, raising three million dollar, and the role of luck. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Roberto. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. The pleasure is all of mine, Ashish. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Uh, so, uh, Robert, if you can tell us a little bit about the idea behind setting up Deepsea, you know, uh, what were your initial thoughts? How did you came about the idea? So, please. Yeah. Yes, that's a that's a very good uh, question. So, when I finished, I graduated from the computer science uh, master's degree in the University of Oxford. Okay. I came back to Athens and uh, because I had a degree of mechanical engineering uh, and MEng undergraduate degree and then mm-hmm. I had a computer science masters and I joined the shipping company uh, working in the technical department as an engineer mm-hmm. and um, well, what was very interesting was that I only you know stayed in the position for for six months uh, but I very quickly you know I could not fathom how much in need for a disruption this industry was. I was working in one of the biggest shipping companies in Greece, and they were working with Excel files, analyzing the performance of vessels, you know, and how efficient they are with very, very primitive methods. And uh, I could not believe that, you know, after studying machine learning uh, at the University of Oxford, I mean, I was immediately you know, put in a position where everything looked just so, um, let's say, yeah, primitive is the right word. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. met with my friend, Kostadinos Kiryakopoulos, who's, who's also Greek. We've been childhood friends, and he had just finished from Cambridge University, computer mm-hmm. science master's, and was about to do a PhD in machine learning. And um, we thought that there must be a better way. I mean especially for capturing the performance of a vessel and knowing how much fuel it will consume, you know, it's bound by many physical characteristics like everything else. Um, and if you know what these characteristics are and you can get the data, then you could use machine learning instead of you know analytical methods or mathematical equations to solve the problem much more effectively and efficiently. And we actually tried that. We got our hands on, on some data sets from vessels uh, that some people were very kind to, you know, give us open-handedly uh, if we were to analyze them. And we actually found out that by using machine learning, we could predict what the fuel consumption of a vessel would be after training our models with 95% accuracy. Oh, wow. 80% that, you know, the analytical mo- methods have. Because the mm-hmm. problem with the analytical methods is that they can't, um harness big amounts of data and if you do mm. linear regression or another analytical methodology then as you increase the dimension it becomes very very difficult to solve so therefore by using deep learning we were able to come out with, with very good results and with minimal from our own laptops i mean we didn't have any supercomputers on it <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so that's how it, it all started and to be Honest, in the beginning, we, we, we largely thought of this as an engineering problem. We did not know, you know, who will want this or how, 
or what the business model would be. We were just very fascinated by the engineering of it all and, you know, solving a science, let's say, problem. Um, which then, after we solved it, you know, many people approached us and we started realizing that we might actually have something. Okay. And that, that's how we, we started Deep Sea. Then I joined the army and he was, he had started doing his PhD and we started mm -hmm. you know, in, in our free time coding and setting up the very first version of, of the platform. Wow, wow. Very, very interesting journey, I must say. So what uh, what are the product or services uh, Deep Sea provides? I mean, you mentioned like predicting fuel usage. So what is, you know, if you want to summarize the product or service in a couple of lines, what exactly is Deep Sea providing? Yeah, of course. So now we have uh, two products at the, at the moment as a company. And mm -hmm. what, what we... What we try to do and what I think is very and a very interesting path now for startups rising now is combining AI with industry knowledge of any industry and building products by having that combination in mind from day one. So we currently have two products. One is a, a performance monitoring product and it's called Cassandra, who we use <laughs> Um, name convention from Greek mythology, so uh, it's it's quite interesting. And um, what what we're able to do by using big data and machine learning over many vessels of an entire fleet, what Cassandra can do, we can analyze the data and we can recognize where the main inefficiencies lie in those vessels by comparing them with each other. So let's say that we have 10 vessels from a client, which are mm -hmm. identical, same engines, built in the same shipyard, which is quite common in shipping. Or if we mm -hmm. have the same vessel, you know, or a very similar one from other clients or same engine, we are able to compare and contrast the, the vessels that we have in our pool with the vessels of a new customer. So we're able to tell them, so out of your fleet, these uh, let's say the ten percent of vessels are what's is what's driving actually eighty percent of your inefficiency. So that's where you should focus on. And more specifically, we can recognize different aspects within those vessels that are driving the inefficiency. So you know the main engine might be very very healthy, but you might be using very suboptimally the generator engines or the propeller might need cleaning. And that's you know we we highlight what the problem actually is which is interesting. So basically, uh, it, this is uh, sensor data which you're capturing yeah. maybe exactly. engine level and different different data points, right? Exactly. Yes, sorry. I didn't, yes, I didn't explain that really well. So we get data points from all over the vessel, from the main engine, uh, the navigation point, and all of that data currently sits on vessels and is not being utilized. So we just need to connect hardware on board the vessels that we have created and designed as well. To collect the data mm -hmm. and to send it over, it's nothing, you know. To uh, uh, it's not part of our unique IP, but it's something mm -hmm. that helps us, you know, convert clients into into paying for our product. And our second product, which uh, is also very interesting, is that by gathering data from a vessel and knowing how the vessel behaves under different weather conditions, we are able by building a model of that vessel to create an ideal path and, and speed for that vessel. If, it's, if it wants to go from port A to port B, we know exactly how the vessel behaves under different weather, and we are able to tailor 
the, the optimal route and have direct savings of up to 5 to 8%. I mean, uh, we've even seen cases of more than 10%, which is very interesting. Wow, wow. Uh, a very fascinating, you know, uh, uh, very fascinating problem statement you are working on. And you mentioned Cassandra. So uh, just to, for our listeners also, so Cassandra, you're not referring to the database, but your own product, Cassandra. You mentioned it's a Greek word. So what does it mean? So Cassandra is a mythological figure. Uh, where she used to predict the future of of ships before they uh, embarked on a new journey. And it's kind of funny because in true mythology, uh, in the story, no one believes her and the vessels actually mm-hmm. crashed, which is kind of unfortunate. <laughs> if, if someone knows the mythology, it's like, so are you implying that we won't believe you and our vessels will crash? But it's just also mm-hmm. a good name. And And the second product, is called which predicts the best path is called Pia. And uh, for our listeners' sake, uh, she's actually not a mythological creature. She was a real person in ancient Greece who uh, used to be able to predict the future and leaders and, um, and, and kings used to go to her asking for her advice before, you know, big wars or big events to help uh, navigate the circumstances. Which is also interesting because, um, you know, Pythian actually mythology, because there's always a small twist in, in Greek mythology. She used to phrase things in such a way where you could interpret it in both ways. So she was always right. That's oh. <laughs> and many people ask us, so, you know, is your algorithm also you know putting (laughs) (laughs) it's very interesting how do you handle that question (laughs) yeah 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 we have have a good laugh and uh you know hopefully they don't uh, they don't emphasize too much onto the actual mythology behind the names (laughs) (laughs) that's that's very interesting you know that's a very very interesting nomenclature for products you have i must say i think and it also gave us a little glimpse on the greek mythology and non-mythology aspects of it so so tell me you know it's a very interesting journey you had so far how how you know what was the most difficult aspect in running or establishing a startup was when you started from scratch you know uh what were the challenges you typically faced well as you know, you know, it, it's very difficult, man. I mean, in the beginning, really, I think the most difficult um, part of the journey is until you secure your first funding. Mm. I think that's the most difficult part uh, because you, know, you don't have the ability to finance any ideas that you have and things are moving quite slowly. And, uh, it was very challenging because, you know, we saw that the sector had a potential. There were some competitors, you know, starting to spawn in Greece. And, um, you know, very often when you start a startup, you might have a very unique vision, but you see others, you know, raising money or moving forward and that uh, kind of brings you down. So mm-hmm. I, I think one of the, one of the toughest things that, that we faced in the beginning was when we were coding with Gossas ourselves at the platform, we did not have any source of data. We had no hardware, to put it in other words, uh, because, you know, uh, both our backgrounds were in computer science and mine in mechanical engineering, but it wasn't an electrical. So we didn't know how, you know, we would go about creating hardware. So we went to a Greek company who was then at the time 
uh, connecting uh, different aspects of vessels with their hardware and sending the data to the offices of the shipping company. And we went there, they were uh, by then around 40 people in the company. Uh, I mean, that they're doing quite well. And we went there for a collaboration for us doing the analytics and the platform and then providing the hardware. And mm-hmm. it was the first time that we got screwed over and uh, whatever we told them in the conversation, being naive and telling them that, you know, we use Java for the backend and TensorFlow to analyze the data or like with Python, they put out job ads after our meeting for everything we oh. mentioned during the meeting. Oh my yeah. God. Oh. And, uh, you know, and I think what was really great is that I don't know, how, I don't know if I would do it now, but we persisted and we said, okay, it doesn't matter. We will do it and we'll do the hardware ourselves. And literally I Googled how to get data <laughs> from a main engine of a vessel. And I went from there. And um, and we did it. I mean, literally, like three, we got Raspberry Pis and we had a very primitive, you know, dummy version at the beginning, but we managed to do it on our own. And we went on installations, you know, for 20 hours straight on vessels and we managed to do it. And uh, one of the biggest pivotal points was getting a strategic investor on board uh, for a small valuation in the beginning of 2 million. Uh, we got 200K and contracts of uh of 35 vessels and that was a tipping point because you know very often uh, we were afraid that we are giving out too much that we are going to lose equity and you know and it's very easy to become greedy when you have a startup so Mm -hmm. also if i could give advice although i don't like that word because i don't feel that you know i'm knowledgeable or anything it's just that from my perspective greediness is not a very good thing because What's most important is for you to keep moving forward and, and, and making leaps, not even steps, you know, in the direction that you want to go. And funding is actually the, the, mo- the best thing you can do uh, to super speed the growth of the company. And yeah. I think, I think that's a very excellent point, you know, for anyone who is looking to start even because of what you did, you know, you kept moving forward, even though the hardware partnership was not going per se in the right directions, you, you took the initiative yourself and you said, why not? I'll build myself, right? So, I mean, that sort of attitude is uh, required whenever you're starting business. And the second point we just mentioned in terms of funding is a very key aspect. And like most of us, people do get greedy, you know, when you have the money on the table and you feel, you know, my idea might be worth, let's say, X, Y, Z million dollar, but it won't be worth anything until and unless you have the funding exactly. in place, right? It will die there and there itself. Exactly. Right? So, absolutely, I think that is a very key point which you which you just mentioned here. Exactly, and also I think you know that having someone who has invested in your company uh, does two things which are interesting. First of all, you start being accountable to someone, and it's mm. better to start early than to grow a lot and have a very serious VC and a very big VC later on. Uh, because it kind of, you grow into the job of, which becomes very important later on as, as we continue this podcast, in that you need to start to understand how investors think. What do they want? 
What is their exit strategy? And you know, as companies, where do they want to go and how does your startup feed into that? Which is, which is quite interesting. And in the beginning, you know, we don't really understand these things. And especially for myself, I always thought that they want to screw me over and, and mm. would want to sell the company for peanuts and for them to make, just to make, you know, double their money. Mm. But, but that's not the case. Not saying that you couldn't be careful when, when an investor comes in. You should be the terms you should really be careful about. But don't be afraid to get diluted, would be my point. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a, another very excellent point in terms of I, I have seen from uh, my personal experience as well as many other startups. Because if you are, you if you have sort of become sort of running freely without any oversight, it becomes much more difficult yeah. later on. Uh, at a uh, later stage where you know you feel oh someone will be sitting over your head right uh, I will be accountable to someone I have this compliance issue I need to report this that board you meeting know, board meetings exactly, exactly so for me it is actually very difficult because as entrepreneurs you know pushing boundaries and not listening to the rules is part of your DNA the reason why you became yes. an entrepreneur is because actually when everyone yes. told you that it can't be done you were the one who actually did it and, you know, and disagreed with everyone. And that's what, and that's what makes you uh, an, an amazing entrepreneur. But that is very different to having a board and, you know, being able to handle it. So in the beginning, when we got our first funding of half a million, which was, let's say, the more serious round, actually a bit more than a year ago, not too long ago, I had a lot of trouble, you know, creating a budget and having a very strict uh, timeline of releases because I always thought that I go with my gut and see how the market reacts. And, and I, I really enjoyed, you know, changing priorities according to what I saw and what I felt, which as the company grows, you can't do so much because it also becomes very inefficient. You can pivot a lot when you're mm. five people or you're eight people, but if you're 40 people building something, you can't just change your mind, you know, the next day. You need also to become more mature as an entrepreneur which I think has been a difficult journey for me. And the skill sets needed to succeed on each level are different. So the more that investors come in, you need to, you know, be more uh, careful of what you promise, which is something that happens in the hard way, <laughs> because you can't just promise anything to get a high valuation, then not deliver. Um, and you also mm. need to um, be careful you know, this is like politics. It's like, you know, wanting to get reelected and you make the last as your next round. So you can build up a good story and a very good momentum before your, your mm. next round. So for instance, we want to do a round in, in Q1 of 2021 and we're releasing two products in January. We have one product which we give out for free now, like it's a beta version to get many people on board to skyrocket, you know, the, the traction. So that we tell later on, look, like we doubled up in, in three months. Therefore, like, you know, this is the growth that we have. And this is not the mm. growth. You can't maintain that growth. Like you can't double up every like three months. But, but if you do it, mm. and VCs are, are very, you know, optimistic as well, many of them. So they will believe you and they will, and they will invest in a good valuation. And then when they invest, they will be let down as in any election, you know, then you tell them the hard truths. But then you have to build again a good story for the next round. I mean, that, that's how I see it. And, and it's uh, interesting. 
I mean, uh, very uh, great insight, you know, uh, into the, what you just shared. I mean, I can correlate absolutely and vouch for it, like hundred percent. You know, the points which you mentioned, in terms of uh, as an entrepreneur, we have been told, you know, to push boundaries. But when someone comes over and you know, you're, it's like a catch twenty two situation. You have what you have been doing is pushing boundaries, but you need to restrict yourself also at some point in time. And again, this. building story is such a big part of it really, yeah. right building story is very crucial for business uh, as a leader of the company uh, because it can make a big different different situation so, so stories and having the momentum i think it's very important and it brings me to the very interesting question i uh, you have recently raised 3 million mm-hmm. euros so tell us about you know the journey of the fundraising uh, uh, how did you go about i mean definitely you mentioned currently how you sort of pushing the traction was the key building the momentum the story anything else else you yes. want to add so um something that's very interesting after our strategic investor came in which was 2 years ago we then we went to the web summit which is um i don't know if the listeners would be aware of it but it's it takes place okay. i think in portugal every year in lisbon uh-huh. and um we went there to meet vcs because the vc scene in greece is not that great so we went to meet big european vcs and the problem that we faced there is that people did not understand the industry so it was very hard to explain uh-huh. our value proposition because very often you have like 5 minutes or a 1 minute like elevator pitch but in one minute someone can't really relate if your product is industry specific if they are not aware deeply of the industry so we went there we got a lot of people interested but then we couldn't close any deals and then something very interesting happened we were going to greek mm-hmm. vcs and then again we had no interest like literally, i remember one fund telling me that you know i never see this big billion dollar company so we won't invest and i thought that that's stupid i mean yeah of course but if you, even if they become a, a 100 million company or 200 if you're investing at a much lower valuation it of course may yeah. um but then what happened is out of the blue we got invited by cargill the biggest private company in the us to geneva they flew yeah. us over because they wanted uh to use our system in some of their vessels they've heard of us from a client someone like a client of ours just sent them screenshots which is interesting of the product and they loved them and they flew us over and wow that was you know sometimes in life things are linear and then one thing happens and it changes mm. and this is something mm. that i really you know want to emphasize to everyone who's listening uh that they say that you need to be lucky to succeed in business and certainly you need to be lucky but actually it's much better if you interpret this luck in a very different way that luck is when preparation meets the opportunity so mm. you are you're prepared i mean we had been working really hard by then you know we were building a great product and then one screenshot was sent and when we were able to capture that you know we had done meetings before and we were ready for the moment where everything came together to seize the opportunity and we seized it we got cargill as a client and as soon as that happened and the news went out we really had 
interest, like from three, four different VCs, they sent us like term sheets, which was a pivotal moment wow. because we had a very big client without having funding even. So that got us very, very interested. Uh, that got him very interested. So we, we invested our first round. Again, we had some back and forth to the term sheets. Um, we weren't willing to give out any of our shares and have them you know, vested back to us, which was a very big problem for some of the VCs. But we found one which didn't have that problem and we moved, moved forward. And to be honest, it was the round of the 3 million was much, much easier than the, than the round of the 500K. Because, because wow. you know, as soon as we had that proof and we started growing in the market, then we, mm. we presented in, in Geneva, uh, we went for, for a convention and presented DeepSea to many VCs. And then, you know, we, we literally got interest from 10 in the next round. And one of them flew us out to London, ETF, the Environmental Technology Fund. And it's interesting, it's interesting because they merely invested in one of our competitors like two years ago, three years ago, but they really loved our value proposition. And the fact that we are the only Greek company, major Greek, let's say startup in, in, in the, in the industry, because Greece owns 20% of the global fleet. It, it, Greeks own more vessels than the whole of China and we're 10 million people, you know, <laughs> which is <laughs> the ideal place to be. Uh, for what we were doing. So ETF invested. And since then, I mean, even though we have COVID, we've grown now, we're going to be 60 people by, by January, growing tremendously fast. Uh, really like our main problem is that we can't, you know, scale quickly enough and we can't scale operations. So we might bring a sea level operations person in the next months. But it's been a, an exciting journey and you always need to learn and adapt because the challenges d differ all the time. But it, yeah. I mean, no, no, I mean, excellent point, which you just mentioned, you know, uh, the definition, the way you see uh, luck, you know, the definition of preparation needs, uh, preparation needs to be in place uh, if you want to get lucky. I think that's a very excellent point and you have been, you know, you started out, you were working on it and definitely opportunities, opportunities do come. Uh, but uh, it, it at that moment it matters how much work you have done, and I think that really paid exactly, off. Exactly, exactly, and and you know it's and it's interesting because many people think that okay it's luck, so just sit around and it might happen or it might not happen. And the more you pursue it, the more your chances of becoming lucky become because you know then one of our clients sent the screenshot to Cargill. And the reason why we had that client is because actually, like, we, you know, we get, we gave them a free version. We worked really hard. We had difficult meetings, but we pushed through. And, um, it's important, you know, to think really deeply about the problems you're solving and not have people, you know, uh, catch you off guard in any meetings because that's when people don't trust you. If, if they ask you something you haven't thought about it or, or there is a loophole in your idea and that goes for VCs as well as potential clients. But it's, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, man. <laughs> wow, wow. I mean, I'm just super wowed by the entire piece. You know, all the entrepreneurial stories are the most interesting, I must yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you start so, from nothing. You, know, you build a company from nothing to something. Yes. And, yeah, and you watch it go. Yes. Anyway, you're going to ask, sir. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the best feeling ever, right? You, you are looking at something growing from nothing and, the satisfaction that just comes. I mean, that's the best. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, 
Yes, but the thing is always, you know, as soon as you reach a goal, you're on to the next one, you know, like, and that's okay because you are satisfied, but it's not so much that you have these moments where you jump around in your room, you know. In the beginning, that's what happens. Like, in the first time you got an offer from a VC, I literally, I remember, like, I couldn't believe it. I was dancing in the shower. But, um, but you know, now it's more like, playing chess, you know, and being focused and okay, what do I need to do next? And what happened? What did the other guys do? And, and you know, being more reserved and humble and, and not, you know, mm. getting too far over your head and not underestimating anyone. And it's a game of focus, I think, in everything. You need to focus internally in your own company. You need to focus on yourself so that you don't make wrong decisions. Focus on the market, see what's going and how things are moving. I don't, I think it's a tremendous, it's the best, it's the best job in the world, I think, actually. I mean, that's a very great point. You know, people do tend to get swayed yeah. away by so many distractions. As a entrepreneur, you see from media to multiple different stuff happening, awards and everything. But the key is to always maintain the focus, you know. Uh, it's not a sprint, it's a journey. It's a marathon. Right? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yes, yes, it's a marathon. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the insights and the analogy, the way you put it, I mean, I'm absolutely <laughs> loving <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so, so tell me, uh, Robert, how things have sort of changed, you know, after raising the funds and everything, then pandemic came, right? COVID came. How, how what was the impact, uh, on the funding? Does the, did the funding get delayed? Uh, how the situation yes, changed within that's the That's a very good point. And that's, you know, a moment of absolute luck that really, like, you know, luck is preparation meets uh, opportunity, but sometimes luck is just luck. Mm. And I mean this because we were, we had very good projections for raising the money. We had commitment by the VC and a mistake I did is that, and thank God, you know, literally thank god that i got bailed out is that i thought okay we have commitment so we 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 don't need to be reserved let's start hiring to move quickly and we started hiring in january and february and and the money was supposed to go in in march or april and then covid came Mm -hmm. and in the beginning it didn't influence our business so i thought okay like this is stupid because in the February, yes. we could literally, because we have a, a logistics problem at Deep Sea, we need to go on board vessels and do an installation. So if you close borders, it's very difficult for us to adapt. You know, like we literally can't do installations, which means our revenues, our revenue projections are really influenced. We managed to call of that, but, but I'll get to that in a minute. So we, uh, we were waiting for the money to come through, and in March it didn't come through. In April, and, and it got delayed, and they sent us an email. We just need to get approval by the board of the fund, and we'll go through. And and literally, we started panicking with a co-founder, and we started contacting VCs in the U.S., which act really quickly if they want to replace, you know, with the term sheet that we had, if they just wanted to come in instead of, of the other guys. And thank God, ETF got the approval and they moved forward. You know, we got a small loan from our previous VC of 100K. And then ETF came in with 3 million. And thank God that they did because, you know, 
uh, we needed to, they asked us to readapt the whole cast through the projections and everything, which was very hard to do because we didn't know when things would go back to normal, you know, if we will be able to achieve our targets. And, you know, something that is harsh, but is also true is that, you know, the life of an entrepreneur is very difficult. And, and the most important thing is, you know, no matter what happens, even if it's within your grasp or not, you can't just, you know, sit around and feel sorry for yourself or, you know, start crying that COVID came and it's not your fault. No one cares about this. You need to solve the problem and you need to find a way to solve it because every problem, every challenge has a solution and you just need to find it. So with Deep Sea, what we did, we did our new projections and we put our entire focus as a company on two things. We bet that COVID will not, you know, be soon over, which was now that we're seeing a second wave, actually a good move on doing installations with the crew of the vessels. So creating manuals and, and really driving forward that mindset, which helps our scalability a lot as well. And creating a product that we're launching okay. now in January with, that does not require hardware on board and is a software only solution. Uh, it's a version of our product, Cassandra, which is called, will be called Light, and you will be able to have it without installing anything on board. So it will be cheaper and it will be like a way to lure people in. And it's a very good way to expand to the market without you know, having the bottleneck of that and having also a lot of revenue come in because of that. And we put our bets on those two things and they've been going really well. I mean, both have paid off a lot because we were able to do, we're the only company, you know, uh, within our industry that is able to keep doing installations and keep, you know, getting more revenue. Whereas more of the other companies are stagnant and they've fired, you know, 30, 40% of, of their workforce. We're actually constantly growing. Um, and it's been challenging, man. You know, it's, uh, but, but you always need to focus and adapt and not, you know, lose your cool because many times you feel frustrated. You feel this is way too difficult. Maybe this isn't supposed to be this difficult, mm. you know? Um, and very often okay. you just, you feel, you know, you know how many times I've literally said, you know, this is, this, this isn't worth it. Like I can't do this, like, you know, but. You need to sleep it off mm. and tomorrow is a new day and you just take it day by day. And some days are just better than others. Some days are bad, but, you know, looking six months behind or even three months behind or two years behind, you see how far you've come. So you don't need to let anything put you down just to keep at it and keep going. And I think persistence and perseverance are the most important characteristics of an entrepreneur. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the way you took the COVID as an opportunity, you know, to have a, a, a lighter version of the products to help you scale and everything. I mean, that is the spirit uh, adversities needs to be taken. You have to convert them as an opportunity. I think I think you did a very uh, good job. Thank Definitely. you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very often, you know, when, whenever something happens, uh, you take it at heart and you feel that it's difficult and, you know, and very often when you feel scared, you look at what competitors are doing. But the hard truth, when you're an, an, an entrepreneur, no one knows what the right choice is. And many of your competitors will hopefully be doing the wrong thing. 
So you shouldn't follow them. You should actually pave the way instead of, you know, following someone else. And you need to trust your gut, your instincts and your logic. Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's always not a very wise choice yeah, to copy your competitor because exactly, you know, well, <laughs> when you don't know what to do, it's very tempting to see what they're doing and then try and you know steal ideas off mm. them, which isn't always bad. You know, sometimes when when we see that someone is doing the right thing, we recognize it. Now, for instance, you know, uh, one competitor uh, had a good idea of having the electricians on board use Viber. And when they had the problem to send them a message, and that was actually a good idea, and we copied it. You know, there is no, of mm. course, there is morality into it, but you know, there is no shame in admitting that someone had a good idea and just you know using it as well. It's not that they wouldn't use it if they had the chance, and and they do it. I mean, competitors copy us right and left all the time. So. I mean, that's how industry has been right from taking a, a example. Everyone will be able to relate in terms of stories from Snapchat, right? Yeah. So Facebook, the biggest, uh, the biggest fish in the, the biggest shark in the game, yeah. right? They copy yeah, yeah, yeah right? exactly. <laughs> and the, the thing is, you know, Snapchat just didn't think that Facebook. That was a very blunt copy because every, all of the users realized. So, you know, even yes. if Snapchat tried to publicly, you know, uh, attack Facebook and say, you know, and did everything in the media, still like customers don't care. You know, even if we cried if a customer copied us, no one would say, okay, yeah, actually we stick mm. with deep sea because it's unfair. No, they would actually go with the best mm. product at the right price, you know. Exactly. Yes. I mean, that's what customer sees, right? He's not concerned about, okay, you copied from there, here, here. I mean, this, I should be getting the exactly, best of exactly, the best yeah, service, right? Exactly. Yeah, excellent. I mean, uh, fun stories, I, I must say, definitely. So, so moving on into the cycle. So you are launching a product, uh, in Jan yeah. with the lighter version. So, uh, anything else in the pipeline you have for your products to addition of any new other product or service which, which you're planning? So what we're trying, now, which is interesting for um, many industries, if it can be applied, is to uh, establish in our products the feeling of the community. That's one of the biggest things because, mm -hmm. you know, even in the B2B, the, the person that makes a decision is a human. And we should never, mm -hmm. you know, forget that. And humans make decisions very largely based on the social element. And what I mean by the social element, it's actually two things. First of all, how many, you know, people have your product if you're the leader or if you're perceived as a leader, because perception is not always the same as reality. If you're perceived as the leader, then it's, it's basic 101 human psychology. Then everyone follows because they feel yeah. uh, instinctively, you know, uh, it's the right thing to do because they will be missing out. If everyone is running in the same direction, you will also run. If you're in a room, you know, let's say eating dinner and everyone gets up, you'll get up even if you don't know why, just because everyone else will. You're probably there. <laughs> yes. So, um, so, and the second thing is that because we are social creatures, we we have the feeling that we want to belong. And I'm not to talk, you know, about tribalism necessarily, but a form of tribalism in all industries where even even if you're a big company or especially a small company, if you're in a big market and you're a small fish, you feel very 
very vulnerable. Mm. So if you create a solution that brings people the feeling that when they're joining your company, they're not just buying a product, they're actually part of a larger community. And that's what Apple has done, has done tremendously well, um, is, is that. So what we're trying now to do is to create, for instance, um, features that when one user logs a problem, we will be able to tell another user, you know, according to the pattern of your data, it actually looks like a similar problem we faced before by another company in our pool. So you get value from everyone that's already in. And also, you know, to take that a step further, we want to allow companies to create widgets and things in our platform for them, but also to be able to share them. Like, let's say, uh, not, not a store, but let's say, but a library of, 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 let's say, knowledge where when you join, you don't just, you know, get the product, but you're a part of a community that constantly builds and is being creative within that domain. And that's one of the very challenging things that we're trying to do now. I mean, that's a very uh, great initiative. And I, I can personally say, you know, this is a very key point of breaking yeah. the silos. Even I have seen within a single organization, people are facing same challenges, but yeah. they're working all yeah. in silos. So exactly. they don't You're communicate, right. right? You're absolutely Yes, they are. They are. And, and that's also the, the difficult with Perfect. B2B in terms of sales. Because very often, you know, when you mm-hmm. sell to someone, you are... Um, your product may be very good for the CEO or the decision maker of the company, but the low level engineer will not necessarily, you know, want transparency or want you know, or the other person will be able right. to check on it. So if the CEO asks mm-hmm. for feedback on, on an engineering product from the engineer, then you might be blocked by the engineer. So, you, you know, you need to make everyone within the platform to feel more inclusive and you know, that's something in it for him as well. It's not just, you know, uh, something that will make his job harder, but will actually empower him. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, very crucial point. And I think that particular, this particular feature will be for sure uh, a very interesting add-on. Uh, and it will, I mean, I'm sure it will unlock many more opportunities as you go along. The, this yes, exactly. And, and, you know, as the company gets bigger, you need to, that's one of the challenges that it's not just what feature should we develop next. Like as CEO, you need to start thinking of, of the bigger picture and what you want to stand for as a company. What are the overarching principles that are going to make you different? Because if we achieve this community, let's say, um, feeling, then it's very difficult for someone, you know, to just come around and resemble that or just pitch that well, you know. And if you have mm-hmm. a critical mass of users in the beginning, then it's kind of game over if you can scale quickly enough because then the rest won't be able to have that. And if you have a whole vision behind this, then it's very difficult for someone to copy you because they will always be one step behind you. And if you can scale quickly enough, and if the VCs and everyone can see that, you know, it's very difficult for someone to catch up. Right, right. Absolutely right. Uh, I, I completely, uh, I'm on with you. I'm on with you on this point. Uh, definitely because it becomes much more difficult for someone to just come into the market and just try to replicate everything, the experience. It gets much yes, more exactly. difficult, right? Exactly. It becomes much more difficult. And, you know, I think that's um, a very big advantage that EU companies and companies in India have over companies in the US, for instance. That although they have massive amounts of capital, 
they need to spend. I mean, we had a competitor that raised 12 million uh, a year ago, 13 million actually, sorry, and we've overtook them within with three million in six months. You know, which which is fascinating, wow. and it's just because in Greece, you know, the wages are a fraction of what they are in the U.S. And also in Greece, you don't have to compete with mm. huge players or other startups to get your developers. It's actually much easier to retain um, employees, which is something you know that I think should drive people from Europe and, and Asia to actually work much harder because even though they don't have the capital access in the beginning, because later on they will, uh, they will be much more attractive in the end. I mean, now that we are being contacted by very big VCs, you know, $1 billion funds, etc. If we raise 20 million now as deep sea, I mean, we can do it. It's like raising 50 million in the US. Exactly. I mean, the cost structure plays a very different exactly. role. Exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, the conversation is so interesting, but we are going little over the time. So I will, I will try to wrap up the entire session with one of my last questions. You know, uh, uh, definitely. Uh, so, what do you suggest? You know, someone from who is starting this right now, uh, the entrepreneurial journey. What will you suggest to them? You know, if you were starting today. So, if I was starting today, that's interesting because actually, I have some friends starting a company now, and I'm. I'm advising them and helping them. And the most important thing is establish, try to establish a product market fit with minimum capital from friends and family if you can, or take a very small investment from an angel investor. Establish the product market fit and then focus on how to grow your business and how to bring in uh, investors that will help you do that as fast as possible. because. We waited for two years before we, brought, we even thought about bringing investment in. And thinking about it now in retrospect, uh, that was perhaps a mistake because we could have sped up things much more than trying to go the two of us for a year to build something on our own. We could have brought 50K someone in with a very mm -hmm. small equity and really speed up those first months when, we, when you are very often alone or have two, you know, you're two people trying to code the whole thing. So that, that would be my advice. Try to bring someone early on who can guide you also to the next step. I think that's a, that's a very excellent point in terms of because timing yeah. is yeah. the key in the market. Uh, how much can you reach? How much can you scale as quickly as possible? Because every moment uh, is precious and someone or the other exactly. person is the getting that book, particular person. If I could recommend a book, uh, is Blitz Scaling yes, please. by Reid Hoffman. So I think that's easy one to remember considering Blitz Business. I I'm, I also have taken a little bit of inspiration from him for naming yeah. this podcast Blitz really, Business. Really. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, wonderful, Roberto. I mean, it was just a pleasure to have you here and the amazing insights, the analogy, the experience which you shared. I mean, uh, I would love to have you some other time when you have raised $20 million, hopefully, yes. Exactly. It will be much more exciting. <laughs> Thank you very so, much for having me. Oh, perfect. Thanks a Thank lot. Very very Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we'll be back with more interesting episodes soon. Stay tuned.